0: As an OD business owner, there are times in your career when you have to make life-changing business decisions. In this podcast series, I'll talk to ODs and business owners who have insight into how things really work, which can help you rethink your assumptions before making those major decisions to avoid expensive mistakes while optimizing their outcomes. This is the Think Again podcast from iThrive by GPM. I'm Scott Jens, your host, and today's episode is a look at the eye care industry by a veteran journalist. Our guest is Marge Axelrod, who's Senior Vice President and Editorial Director of Vision Monday, V-Mail, and 2020, all part of the Jobson Optical Group. Welcome, Marge, to the Think Again podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Scott. I'm flattered to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, you have um, an observation of the eye care industry from a very unique seat. Um, and I have to believe that what you're seeing are some incredible shifts in the market. Off the top of your head, what's the biggest shift that's happening today?
1: I think the biggest shift is um, could be perceived as a threat, but I think it's the biggest opportunity, which is there's been, for the past two years, a real mind shift among patients and consumers, and the recognition that patient-centric care is going to be critical to the future, because as the big healthcare systems make changes as a result of the pandemic, and as um, individuals and as companies make changes in healthcare coverage as a result of the pandemic, um, people's lives have been upended in many ways, even though in some sense, we're back to normal, uh, we are not in the same normal that existed in 2019. So, I think that changes in attitudes um, among people about their health care and about their family's health care, what kinds of interactions they want to have with doctors of all types, is probably the biggest change. And um, I think the shutdowns made everybody recognize that uh, technology was an ubiquitous solution for a lot of what was going on uh, during the peak of the pandemic and even today where we're seeing the ramifications. So patient mindset has changed, their expectations have changed, what they want from their interactions with healthcare providers of all types have changed. And then that leads to other things that practices need to consider.
0: Wow. I, I want to think about that for a second. Okay. I have been talking to folks about how most of us in I care believe our patients are committed to us. We call them our patients. Yes. Are you saying even from large healthcare systems, as you see it from your seat, they are starting to contemplate what it means to meet the patient where the patient is?
1: Yes. I think um, a lot of people started to encounter during the pandemic, the complexity of healthcare access and healthcare reimbursement, and how to find the right doctor and the right advice. Uh, If you think about that, um, in the vision care space that applied for people that had vision problems, but it also applied because people were spending so much time on screens, spending so much time at home, and um, the entire relationship idea of accessing a provider, asking a question, finding out about a solution, recognizing that you don't see as well as you did before, all of them are in the context of a new world that we're in. So everybody was basically forced to recalibrate those relationships. So no matter how much patient loyalty you have, and so many optometrists have generated that kind of loyalty, that doesn't necessarily presume that the patient understands how you run your practice how you do their procedures, how you have interactions with them. And I think they're starting to expect new things from modern practices that go beyond the primary care that's being delivered. It's not about questioning the doctor not knowing how to take care of eyes. It has to do with interacting with the practice, accessing the practice, understanding fees, understanding insurance, um, understanding choices, and having a new expectation of how healthcare can be delivered, that's that's the big opportunity and the big challenge.
0: That makes sense. So then it must be that the responsibility of the ECP and their team of leaders and staff are being encouraged by you to think again about oh, yeah. the ways that they are delivering information to patients. That when a patient expects you to know everything about their vision benefit or expects you yes. to have a broad variety of technologies or products to use that they can't just sort of wait for it to happen. They need to get ahead of it. That's right. Yeah. And,
1: and again, that's positive because it offers um, a great bridge. You know, people talk about the, the, the transition from the eye exam lane to a dispensary in many practices, and that's still a super important critical juncture in a patient feeling that all their needs are being met but i think especially with optometrists now examining new specialties and new opportunities to practice to a broader scope of care with new medical specialties offering a lot of opportunities even more so patients want to learn about those things they have questions so yes i'm in the communication business but practitioners need to recognize they're in the communication business too and that is almost as important a priority to patients today as the actual care that they're being given the actual treatments that they're receiving
0: it makes me think of a phrase that i'm just making up but it's sort of like you're encouraging folks to hurry up to slow down (laughs) to communicate right that get get busy with finding ways to create communication channels i know and in high-end practices with specialty deliveries, there's always a a carve out of extra time for the person. But you're saying that that's across the board wise, and I agree.
1: Well, and also I think the other big, maybe it's part of your first question is, um, people need to recognize that their interactions with patients don't just happen in the office face-to-face. With the patient facing staff, with the patient facing dispensing associates, with the patient facing the doctor. The the patient's experience of your practice is when they go online, can they book an appointment with you easily? Can they get an answer quickly? Can they call you in the middle of the night? Is somebody there on a Saturday afternoon? Um, maybe they have questions about eyes and eye care issues, which are almost emergency things, but they need them taken care of. Or maybe they just really don't have the time because everyone became so strapped for time, ironically, during the pandemic when everyone was home, but the the stresses on them were enormous, right? Children at home, working from home, um, no one had enough time anymore. So um, people's interactions with the practices need to be 24 seven. And I think practitioners need to think that way, that they don't just exist in the few, in the hour that the patient is there if you're lucky to have a patient for an hour you know you're yeah. 24/7 your practice is on in some way
0: uh, thanks for saying that. That carries a lot of weight. I want to adjust our conversation now to a different perspective. You okay. and the team at Jobson run this incredible global leadership summit each year. You've got attendees from ODs to industry company representatives. I will put in a plug. I think it's a fantastic presentation. I encourage people to go. But I want to know what your you and your team here is sort of the next big issue from industry representatives in the next couple of years. How are they... Mm. Um, commenting about what is important to them that might be important to our audience? Mm,
1: I think, uh, I guess two things cut across. One is a little bit of what we just said having to do with communication and um, having an opportunity to better shape and better educate perceptions about eye care. Huge opportunity that cuts across industry, practitioners, large national chains, regional groups, um, big 3.0 MDOD practices and independence. Everyone has that same channel. Um, we, we talked about it at the summit this year as retail being a media channel. When you hear a line like that, if you're a practitioner, you might think, oh, that's not me. But I advocate, oh yes, even so, it is you. Your practice, how you appear, how you come across, um, how you enable people to have various touch points with you, whether they're physically there with you or not, that is part of your care. And that's part of how they experience you. So that was a very big lesson that came through at the summit. The other thing too, is that um, now there's um, a little bit more willingness for people to appreciate Um, taking care of their vision and what that means. So how do you leverage that as an optometrist? It might mean that you embrace specialties and specializations and have them rethink about what visual performance can mean for healthy eyes. And then what happens when they start to encounter serious vision issues and they're looking for people to help them with that. So beyond the day-to-day routine eye care and routine quality eye care, uh, eyewear that that solves vision problems, people are much more open to the idea of specialization, new advances in technology that can be solutions for vision care, and, um, you know, eye care practitioners can be at the center of that if they choose. They can be at the center, and people expect them to be informed about it.
0: Well, and it seems to me that uh, a thoughtful, future-looking OD is going to then take advantage of those vendor partners who are thinking about embracing their patients with them or delivering important technologies for them to deliver to their patients. And and they should then leverage those partners to see what they can do to put themselves one step closer to the patient.
1: No question. I mean, there's a lot of new solutions there's a lot of new training and education out there even the way you access training and education as a doctor has changed so um, it's not a judgment of what you know whether you're an experienced practitioner or you've only been practicing for five or seven years um, it has to do with um, speeding up your willingness and getting your staff um, engaged in this because your staff an extension of you and um, it's sometimes very challenging for optometrists to um, get the staff involved with changing the processes they use the day-to-day structure um, of what happens from a to b to c to d during the course of a day or a week but it's really important um, that they can sort of echo Uh, Some of the things that are priorities for the practitioner. So it's a whole big universe now. And I think people don't have the luxury, which it was a luxury of waiting three or five years to move in this direction, move in some direction quickly, because um, everything has picked up. It's, it can feel overwhelming. But the pace of change is the pace of change. And now we're looking at economic headwinds, so that's another wrinkle. <laughs> it's a big wrinkle, but it shouldn't stop. It shouldn't stop you.
0: Well, uh, you've very reasonably pointed out to me here that this idea of empowering the patient to make decisions, while sometimes we feel like we own the relationship, you're s- telling us that the headwinds are here um, and start to do something incrementally. It gets me to think to ask you as a journalist and somebody who's worked with so many people have told so many great stories in Vision Monday and elsewhere the last many years that you've covered a lot of topics, right? The change of independent practice, the support of peer groups. You've you've covered all of the expansion and changes in corporate optometric practice. You've covered very deeply the private equity impact on practices. I'm curious if, if we talk about learning from history, right? So as to not to repeat the bad parts, If you look back in your Wayback Machine, was there something that was coming down the line in the last five or 10 years that would be a lesson for us today that that would be, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, do you have anything?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's hard to find a direct analogy. Um, I would say, I, I, I hearken back to one of our summits and you might've been there that year, Scott, when we brought in somebody from MIT Okay. And uh, they had just developed some radical new technology. And the guy held up an iPhone, which was only two years old at the time. And if you remember, he put up a sign. Um, it was a little attachment to the front of the iPhone where it had the first cameras that we ever saw in a phone, right? And he put up a sign that said Pharactosaurus. And everyone in the room freaked out because. What he was really saying was, there are new ways of delivering refractions and new notions of eye care that are going to be changed by this small little new revolutionary technology. And I think people were truly stunned and truly shocked that anyone would have the nerve to kind of come in from outside the boundaries of the tradition of our market and and our industry and our field and be able to do something so brazen. So maybe that first pass was brazen, but I remember it as a very critical moment because it heralded a new approach to thinking about vision care. And I think that's what we've been seeing in spades ever since. And so we're at an interesting juncture now where people accept a lot of new technologies it's implementing them and getting them going and trying them out that can be intimidating but you really have to start somewhere and you can start and if it doesn't work you can adjust and you can pivot and try again or try another approach but you've got to start doing it honestly otherwise you're going to be left standing a little bit more alone (laughs) It's it's interesting to me that
0: as you reflect on that speaker, I think quickly of two others, and I'll see what your reaction are. One was the interview that you helped coordinate with your friends um, and another publication. You brought Neil Blumenthal in to talk about the startup of Warby Parker and the oh, doorways. Yeah. Another was bringing in an automotive executive talking about the future of data and artificial intelligence in in self-driving cars.
1: Yeah, right. And
0: Mm -hmm. that's why I love that summit so much, because it brings different perspectives. You and your team work very hard at that. And in both cases, I think that we were sort of being asked as a crowd to think about what that may mean. And when I think about, for example, AI-driven eye care, as it's coming down the pipe, we've got to actually think to ourselves, maybe a patient sometimes will actually self-select care that isn't ours.
1: That's right. And
0: that happened with Warby and it's going to happen again another day. And that mm-hmm. t- to me feels like some of those lessons. Would you agree?
1: I would agree. And I think what you've tapped into there is, you know, uh, vision care for a long periods of time has been its own community. And there's <laughs> fractions and factions within the community. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but, um, The vision community is a series of small communities within it, but it is quite insulated because it doesn't always tell a collective story to the world about itself because it's fighting out the terminology. This guy calls it this thing, this woman calls it something else, this company. So so there's always a lot of fractions and factions, but I think in today's world, it's really important that vision care understand it's part of a greater whole, it's, it is part of healthcare. It needs to fight the fight of advocating for itself in the healthcare arena and not be ashamed of having a retail component to it, not be ashamed of having that vision care solution be a part of what they're about to people because both elements of that make vision so relevant in people's lives. And um, I, I think that that's a big opportunity.
0: I, I can't say it better. I, I think that where we're at is accepting as eye care professionals, that there are people that care as much about the public's visual welfare um, that come from completely outside the industry, yes. yeah, as yeah. those of us who are in it. And some are gonna bring some solutions to fix the yeah. public's problems. And someday there's gonna be one that's gonna make us go, well, what do you mean for optosaurus, right? <laughs> what uh, so that's really encouraging.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think uh, it's also an advantage if somebody does come from the outside with something radical. You know, artificial intelligence eight years ago was considered radical. Now everyone understands. If you go to some of the biggest um, eye care clinics and hospitals in the world, they're using artificial intelligence to analyze scans of patients' retinas and provide solutions and identify conditions that they were never able to do before. It's not a judgment against the ophthalmologist who preceded them. It's just a capability that's now there. And who better to put the capability into action than people who know the vision care space, right? So I I just think we're at an interesting juncture. And um, yes, there's been all these changes, consolidation, private equity, and, and people can feel besieged. Um, the world is feeling besieged right now on so many levels. But um, it doesn't mean that uh, the fundamentals of um, good eye care do not apply. They, they, they impact everybody's life and um, we're at the center of it, you know?
0: Yeah. You care a lot about eye care being delivered well by the people that are in the industry. And I appreciate that. Is there anything that motivates you to that, Ed?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think, um, hmm, I, I don't know how to answer that, Scott. I, okay. I, I think I've come to, to see the value of that and, and the way it in, in, inspires people um, to, to, to change people, that they're involved in something that changes somebody's life on a daily basis, and that they're always looking for solutions to help people. Um, yes, we are part of a business I have no problem saying we're part of a business. You know, I came up that way, um, and I don't think I care and business are mutually exclusive ideas. I just, um, I just think it's something I've gravitated, come to gravitate to.
0: Well, on behalf of all my colleagues, I can't thank you enough for your tireless commitment to advancing the minds of those in the industry. Uh, oh, Marge yeah, Axelrod, So nice. Thank- Dr. Well, thank you. I appreciate this unique perspective. Thanks for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: That's it for today's Think Again podcast brought to you by iThrive from GPM.